You know what impresses me about you? Please tell me. You are one of the most careful people I know when it comes to speech, especially when adjusted for volume of speech. Like that, that's where it becomes very impressive. Like I know a lot of people who are very, very careful with their words, but they usually don't say anything. And that's how they've decided to like exercise that care. You are a voluminous speaker of words, especially if written words count. And I know that the practice of speech in writing versus out loud uh, like works very differently. Um, but I feel like overall the principle is the same and it amazes me that you're able to produce this much mindful speech. So can you tell me anything about how you do it? Uh, I love, I love this reflection. I love compliments. So thank you for your kind speech, my friend. Uh, I feel very touched. (laughs) Yeah. Uh, I also know coming from you that it's accurate, that you aren't full of shit. And uh, notice that I just sweared. I think Ah. you can swear and be playful and not have that be bad. It depends on the context, but uh, I I love swearing and swearing is great. What's not cool is unkind swearing and both the words and the state of mind. So, uh, which, how do I do it? It's very simple. I have this article, Reflections on Buddhist Right Speech, which um, maybe I should title it something different. I don't know, because it's really not just for Buddhists. Like, I don't even know if I'm a Buddhist. I'm like way out there these (laughs) days. Uh, We have left the Buddhist reservation. (laughs) And I still find this practice incredibly useful. The, The Buddhist numbered lists are so practical. They're so pragmatic. It's like someone has a a textbook for an area of life that you care about. It's like, here's how you do it. And there's five qualities and you just memorize them and you try your best to do them. And then when you kind of fuck up, you're like, wait, which of these five did I not do? And you're like, oh yeah, it was that one or those two or those five. And, um, and then your understanding and, and of each of the qualities gets refined over time. Um, yeah, I think that's the core of it. I, I also view speaking as a meta practice and I try to give lots of compliments, loving words, always authentic. That's important. It can't be, if, if I say something loving, I genuinely mean it to the best of my awareness and ability. And that's part of why it lands for people is they know it's not saccharine. Um, even if it sounds saccharine to them, which it might, <laughs> they know it's, I at least intend it authentically. And yeah, um, I think at a certain point, I realized that the timeline and the internet was a great place to do meta practice. Like I wasn't really into formal seated practice at the time, but I was like, oh, I can just do metta practice as replies and mudita practice. And people would be like, oh, I did this amazing thing and I'm proud of it. And you're like, wow, that's an opportunity for mudita. Or, oh, I'm really struggling. That's an opportunity for compassion. And just letting every speech act be an opportunity for metta practice, that goes well with it. Um, And lots and lots, lots and lots of practice. As you say, I write a lot, I speak a lot. And that's important to me. That's part of my spiritual path is sharing what my experience is and how I see things. And when I bump into 
walls or problems or obstacles or strong feedback. That's always an opportunity to reflect and learn and grow. And I just try to learn the lessons as soon as I can. Mm. I feel like you got to the answer to my question as asked of how do you do so much mindful speech? Uh, but uh, the answer the answer that you got to was lots and lots of practice, which is sure, like the spiritual path answer to how to get good at things. <laughs> but But I feel like very early in your answer, you revealed something you learn after lots and lots of practice about any static principle it's very funny that you mentioned that you talked about the Buddhist lists of things because five minutes ago before we started, I just published my like authoritative commentary on the ten, actual Ten Commandments in the mm, actual Bible. Wow. And, and so like I'm thinking a lot about static principles and how to apply them. And I think that one thing that you learn after lots and lots of practice is that, as you said, it depends on the context. Yes, the the fifth word in the Buddhist list is timely, and I actually, mm. th that feels like an aspect of the thing, but I prefer the translation, very liberal translation, context-aware. Mm -hmm. um, because, like, right now, we are having a spoken, verbal conversation where we're looking at each other, but the people who are hearing it won't. It's recorded. Um, that's a very different context than you know, a private conversation that's not recorded, mm -hmm. or, you know, you and I have a ton of context in our friendship, and that's different than if I was just meeting you for the first time, or if it was in writing, or if it was in a private email, or, you know, um, how loud I'm speaking, or something like, there's so many variables, mm -hmm. and um, context-aware, I think, how to put it, I think that that more broadly and usefully encompasses the thing that Timely was trying to get at than just mm -hmm. the word Timely. Mm -hmm. The practice of learning to discern the context, I feel, is a lot more subtle than the practice of doing something over and over again, which I think could be accurately described even in the case of like Buddhist practice as trial and error, right? Yes. <laughs> and error, like explosion. Yes. Er error and learning, maybe even a better way of describing it. I think every everything that I have learned has definitely come from um, it's funny, actually, there was a tweet, this was one of the first times I had a really strong negative response to my, one of my tweets was in the summer of 2020, I'd just come out, my context was I had just come out of long solitary retreat and I was like, yay, Buddhism, <laughs> which is cute. And I forget the exact words of the tweet, but it was like imagining a world in which um, the ideals of speech are not merely free speech, but also right speech, noble speech. And um, that was all, the context, which I did not know was that there was a lot happening about freedom of speech at that time mm. in this country. And I was just like, here's a hand grenade. <laughs> and, uh, that it went poorly, but I learned so much from that. And it went basically, if you're willing to learn something like that goes well rather than poorly in the end. Mm. So learning, being willing to learn seems like a very important kind of openness or, or, or pretext upon which to sort of gain in understanding of context because you can't understand, because one thing, one absolute fundamental principle about context in the sense that we mean it is that you cannot understand others' contexts from your own perspective without learning something about them. So that is the, uh, that, that, that willingness to learn seems like an important orientation. 
you can see this, but I am nodding vigorously. I'm like, yes, yes, uh-huh. yes. Uh-huh. And that's the, I would frame that as like the individual orientation towards it. Like I absolutely mm-hmm. experienced myself as willing to learn. And something I'm super excited about right now is just, that's been tremendously useful for me is seeing this life and the universe as a school. Mm-hmm. And it's like, that's what the universe wants you to do mm-hmm. is to learn. Like, I don't know, take that as a poetic way of seeing, take it as literal, whatever you want. I just published this thing, Alter to the School of the Universe, mm-hmm. which I stated at the beginning. I'm like, this is poetic. So just take it as you will. But um, it's not how to put it like the universe already wants you to learn. I think that's usefully true, even if it's not literally true. You take it how you want. But if you are, if you are riding that wavelength, then things will go well for you. And if you are not, then you will suffer more mm-hmm. and, and then not grow. And it's fun when you grow. So, yes, I am willing to learn, but I think the universe also rewards learning and wants you to learn. Mm-hmm. What, how does learning happen in context? You try your best and then you keep your heart open and your eyes open and your ears open and really listen to other people. Other people are the teacher and they know more than you do about you and what's happening. And even if they're like a total jerk and very stubborn, they still have some wisdom that you need to hear, even if it's not the thing they're literally saying. And you have to be open to that to learn from it. And Often it happens after the fact, maybe even years after the fact, but you're like, I mean, who amongst us has not had the feeling of suddenly remembering a conversation from decades ago? And you're like, oh, (laughs) oh, I see. I understand now. Uh, Something that I'm struck by is that the speech has gone in the other direction now. Like we're talking Mm -hmm. about incoming speech. Mm -hmm. And so the, you know, you take, you take the speech in, you process it. It takes moments to years to learn the proper context for those words, for that speech and what it, what it, what it's learning is for you. Where does, like, how does it turn around? How, how does that, how does listening help you speak? Mm -hmm. Yeah. As you say that I'm reminded for, for as much as I write or speak now, I have listened much more and read Mm -hmm. much more. Mm -hmm. We learn to hear from others and, receive before we learn to share, I think. And um, I've read a lot of books and I've encountered a lot of teachings and teachers and and really, (laughs) how to put this, like, from a certain perspective, I'm just like LARPing my own fan version of like Peace Pilgrim and the Buddha (laughs) and like my teacher Soryu and (laughs) a bunch of other people, like even just contemporary people who wouldn't present as spiritual teachers, but who I admire. It's like, this is a digested version of the things that I've heard that really resonates for me and um, helps me to live my life better. And I'm sharing it partially to remind myself of it and partially if it's useful to other people and how to put it. Um, it's like fan, a fanfic. Like my life is a fanfic of all the things I've ever read. And to the extent that it's gone well, it's uh, because I'm yeah, standing on the shoulders of giants. I think what, comes to mind for me is a question about maybe it's even about neurology. Like it's about types of types of brains or, or really types of people uh, or maybe how people are in different kinds of contexts. And I'm struck that that is very difficult. It's a very major challenge in communication. One that is amplified in 
text-based communication and other forms of asynchronous communication in ways that we've discussed in myriad other ways and is integral to the context of speech and is one of those key things that you don't know about somebody else's context, especially if you're encountering them in the form of a tweet. So what, I mean, you've, you've said a few things about like compassion and other, other, other like, um, ethical and emotional and, uh, and, and relational frames that you can start from to communicate safely. Is that an okay word to use? Uh, and well, actually let's just ask about that. Is, is safety a concern in speech practice? I think I am concerned about safety, but that's not the word I would use. Mm. And um, there are other concerns as well. Like the word beauty comes to mind or vitality of, um, yeah, I don't want to hurt others or myself through my speech acts, of course, but I also something that I'm really standing for is like vitality, fullness of expression. Like really, if there's anything I have to give through this life, I want to give it fully and I can't hold that back. So if I was overly concerned about just safety, that might, yeah, I mean, you, you mentioned, oh, there are people who just don't say very much and that's, uh-huh. that's a valid strategy, but that's not the one that I've taken or expect uh-huh. to take in the future. Um, there's a willingness to fuck up or to, yeah, make mistakes or even hurt myself or others if need be, as long as I'm willing to learn and grow. Obviously, I don't want to do that intentionally, but every action has unintended effects and you have to eat that just to be alive. So I've, to the best of my ability, accepted that in general and certainly through speaking and writing. So when you you are speaking with someone who is very different in their manner of speech Mm -hmm. and or of listening from you, what are, can you enumerate some of the, of the considerations, the ethical considerations that you would have toward them as opposed Mm -hmm. to just like speaking the way that like, like, or, or maybe this is, maybe I shouldn't, like say that this isn't one of your responses. Like, would you speak the way, like, like, is, is there something about authenticity and how you show up to that conversation that would push you to speak from your own place exactly the way you would otherwise to present yourself to them? Or are there considerations that you would have about how somebody would receive you differently from how you would be intending? Mm Mm-hmm. A lot comes up for me about this, and I'm going to just like quickly point to a few things. First, um, I think my subjective experience of this is less like following a rubric than it might sound. It's mm. it's very improvisational, and then I'm willing to learn and update how I behave based on what I experience. But it's very intuitive in the moment, and it's mm. not like, I must follow this procedure. Mm-hmm. Um, I love procedures, actually, but this is not one of them. Uh-huh. And um, some things that come to mind are theory of mind. Um, which, which for me is associated with humility, just being like, wow, I really don't know what it's like to be this person. Mm-hmm. And, and I really, they're a whole universe and I can't know what it's like to be them in full. And I have to almost bow to that. Like, I mm-hmm. will never know in full what it's like to be this person. Mm-hmm. And that actually gives you the ability to begin trying to understand what it's like to be them mm-hmm. and then failing, mm-hmm. being like, oh, this is incomplete. Um, and just the fact of being aware of that allows you to understand them better and also attune to them. So like, um, I mean, I have a lot of energy, as you can see, yeah. and it's important to attune to someone and match them where they are. And 
yeah, show up authentically from yourself, but also with them in that interaction. And I think another thing that's really important is resonance. Like, is this feeling enlivening and energizing? I'm, I'm enlivened by this conversation. It looks like you are as well. So that's a good sign. And you want to do more of that. And if it looks like someone's like shutting down from talking to you, or you're shutting down from talking to them, like, that's a good sign to just be like, all right, backing off, like, mm -hmm. or on the internet, be like, okay, we're just going to block here. Like, it's not personal. I wish you well. I, I whenever I block people, I always send the meta. It's like, it's not personal. I forgive you. I forgive myself. This is just not a clean interaction for us. This is not going to go well. And I'm protecting us from further harm by uh, putting a boundary here. Um, but in person, you can literally walk away and be like, let's talk about this later. Um, and I think resonance and energy enliveningness is, is an important thing to pay attention to. There's still something I want to poke my finger into Please. about the word safety, because mm -hmm. the word harm has come up. And mm -hmm. so that implies that there are risks and that safety as defined as freedom from harm is in play. So well, well, safety sounds to me very um, like there is a clean room and it is mm -hmm. either perfect or it's not. Ah. And I'm like, uh, this is just messy. Uh -huh. Like action, karma, the world living is messy for me. Maybe for not for someone else, maybe mm -hmm. for a Buddha, it's not. But for me, it's like, oh, I'm a mess mm -hmm. and you're a mess and mm -hmm. this universe is a mess. And I have to be willing to roll up my sleeves and get messy. And I want to from there. I, basically, I want to intend to do no harm. I don't want to intentionally do harm. And then I accept mm -hmm. that I will intentionally do harm and have to be willing to learn from that. And that stance is a different one than like, I will perfectly preserve my safety and never hurt myself or others, which I would love. I probably would push that button if I thought that was feasible, <laughs> but I don't have that button. Uh -huh. So um, maybe just not saying anything ever is like a reasonable approximation of that button. But for various other reasons, that's not, that's not an option for me. Okay, here's my question. Yes. Speech is imperfect as a translation of truth. As we know from every mystical tradition that that the 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 any description of reality is incomplete. So it seems to me to be a matter of intention as you said so how does intention mitigate the problem of the incompleteness of speech and and and, and is that what allows you to speak at all as opposed to remaining silent is it good is it a matter of good intentions how to put this. I'm going to go on a tangent very briefly and say that I think Theravadan Buddhism is great and it's unfairly condemned. There are things I don't like about it that I could rant about at you, but we owe a lot of respect to that tradition and it's incredibly useful. And no, even if you don't want to be a Theravadan Buddhism, Buddhist, it's like worth learning a lot about Theravadan Buddhism as far as I'm concerned. Um, maybe, maybe briefly with a shame filter. I find uh, there's a lot of like shamey stuff that I personally don't really like. Mm. Uh, it doesn't resonate for me. It's also a totally different context than the contemporary context. And that's worth accounting for. Mm -hmm. How is this very different from the life I find myself in and the world I'm in? But that said, very, very, very useful materials. And the Noble Eightfold Path as presented by Theravada Buddhism is like one of the most fundamental teachings there. Um, it's the fourth of the Noble Truths. And 
I think the question that you're asking is basically like right view precedes right thought mm. and right thought precedes right speech. Mm. And so to the and, and for each of these there's mundane and transcendent forms and you can learn and understand and practice the mundane versions of them. You can actually conceptually understand them, be like, yeah, that seems true, or it doesn't seem true, and look at that. And to the extent that I have practiced right speech in a way that's, I don't know, admirable such that you'd ask me about it, it's because I have also practiced right view and right intention. And uh, yes, right intention does precede right speech, but so does right view even before that. And like one of the right views is, for example, that what you do matters, that your actions have consequences. And really looking at that, I have some articles about that, about some of the not so obvious um, corollaries of that or what that might imply. And like, for example, that actions will have intended and unintended effects or um, <clears throat> large and small effects or public and private effects, ones you know about, ones you don't. And really sitting with that and gosh there are already huge unintended invisible effects of my speech acts that are positive and negative and like that's just that was always true even before you stopped to notice it 